Welcome to the Clear Admit MBA Admissions Podcast. I'm Graham Richmond, and this is your Wiretaps for Monday, December 5th, 2022. I'm joined by Alex Brown from Cornwall, England. Alex, how are things going? Very good. Thank you, Graham. So I am in Barcelona as we record this. Uh, This is recorded last week, obviously, but um, I'm in Barcelona uh, for the GMAC European Conference, and I'm giving a talk at the conference and also going to connect with hopefully a lot of different admissions officers from all the leading programs here in Europe. Seeing some of your friends, I presume. I think I'm going to run into Rachel from Manchester and, and other friends of of the show, um, and, and you know, just from the industry. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, no, brilliant. Um, I'm sure you'll have a great time, and it'll be really interesting to catch up with those folks. Tell Rachel she needs to give me a call. All right. <laughs> I, you know, and it's funny. I arrived, and I was like, "Wow, I've never been to ESA or Esade. My hotel is a mere, like, I don't know." two kilometers or something. So I, I woke up this morning, I was like, I'm going to take a little run, check out these campuses before the conference begins, because the conference is hosted at ESA. So I was like, I'll just check it out. And so I went out for a run, except that one of the things I failed to calculate is that it's directly uphill the entire way from my hotel to ESA. So I had a bit more of a workout than I bargained for. Um, but man, both schools have really beautiful campuses on a hill overlooking the rest of the city. So I'm looking forward to spending more time up there. And yeah, we'll see how it goes. Do you have any World Cup predictions, Alex? Because last time you know we recorded, you made a prediction um, that didn't quite work out. <laughs> yeah, that was a little puzzling. And obviously, <laughs> you put me on the spot because both USA and um, and England are in the in, in the round round of sixteen, but will have yeah. played there. Their games oh, that's right. By the time people listen right, no to no predictions this. then. <laughs> well, I'm going to predict an England win and a and, and a US loss. Not all right, for all right. any other reason than that's the way the form should go. Right. No, agreed. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Hopefully, next time we record this, both of our teams are still in it. And in fact, I was looking at the bracket. the The US and England could only meet again, I think, in the final, yeah. unless I misread the bracket. So that would be fun. That won't happen. <laughs> No, I know, I know. <laughs> yeah, because somebody's got to get through France. Probably the U.S. would have to get through France. I think we I have to get through France oh, in you would. the okay. next right. round if we get through. Oh, and boy. yeah, that will be a very good game. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, all right, so let's get back to MBA admissions, though. I know that this week is going to be insane. In fact, you wrote an email to the team with kind of an update on what what to expect for the coming week. And you mentioned it in our weekly meeting. So let's run down what people can be expecting this coming week in the admissions world. In terms of official sort of decision release dates that that schools publish, there are at least 12 um, of the top programs that are releasing decisions next week. Some of those might actually start trickling out or might have started trickling out the back end of last week, Yale, for instance. And what happens with these sort of decision releases, um, for many schools, um, the ADCOM like to call up the admits um, before the actual decisions are released to sort of, you know, it's all part of their onboarding process, for for want of a better word. So that means if there's an official date, let's say Yale's is um, Tuesday, December 6th, those that were admitted might actually hear on Monday, via phone call or even on Friday and so on and so forth. Anyone that's waitlisted or not admitted won't get a phone call. No, <laughs> no, they don't call you to tell you you're not, not right. accepted, no. Right. <laughs> but, but it's a big week next week. Harvard and Stanford both are scheduled to release decisions on Thursday, um, December the 8th, for example, along that particular day also includes Tuck, includes Duke, 
um, and Fuqua and 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 McDonough um, wow. and Johnson. So yeah, big day on Thursday, particularly. Okay. Yeah, so a ton to get through this week. I do want to wish everyone who's tuned in, who applied in round one, the best of luck. I know, you know, Alex and I are rooting for you guys. I know that we pick apart everyone's candidacies on the show, but obviously, you know, we love for people to get in. So hang in there. Hopefully good news is is going to come later this week. Uh, over on the website, Alex, we have two just two things, because last week was a little quiet with Thanksgiving and all that stuff. So um, yeah, just, well, and, and well, actually... The content that we typically talk about on this show comes out a week prior, and so the Thanksgiving holiday slowed our <laughs> our publishing schedule. But we did have two pretty interesting things. The first is we ran a Real Humans piece about MIT Sloan, so we connected with five different students in the current first-year class. Uh, they had a lot to share about why they chose Sloan, the, the application process, what it's like as a first-year student. So if you're curious about MIT Sloan, this is a must-read. I also um, I just noted in the article that it, it looks like 84% of the incoming class at MIT Sloan studied one of the following subjects, and those are engineering, business, econ, and math or science. So, and another 10% did social sciences, but not econ. So that doesn't leave a lot of humanities majors in that incoming class at Sloan, which probably not unusual for most business schools, but it seems even a little bit less than some of the other programs. I don't know if you agree with that. Did you apply to Sloan, Graham? No. <laughs> See, I, I mean, my, my point is there might even be a little self-selection there, right? Yeah, it's In possible. terms of MIT Sloan, it has that sort of um, perception of being, um, you know, more science technology based um, in a, and so on and so forth. Um, so That's an interesting point, yeah. So, so, so there, might, there might be some of that at play there. It doesn't surprise me, though, that the majority of business school applicants um, at top programs um, do fall into that engineering, business, econ, math, science sort of bucket. But majority is more than 50%. In this case, it's 84%. So it does seem quite high. Yeah, yeah. And, and I, you know, I, I think it's a fair point. I mean, I, you know, MIT is known not just for science and tech, but I think, you know, their finance program yeah. is really terrific too. So uh, one other thing, just a small footnote, because I think we talked about this on the show a few weeks ago, but there are I want to say 408 students in that incoming class in terms of the, you know, we connected with five of them, right, for this article. But there are 408. And I had pointed out on the show, I think, that, you know, that, that Sloan's class size had come down a bit over the last two years. And so when I, when I met with, um, with Donna Levinson up at, at MIT, she had mentioned that that was actually an intentional thing. They had actually grown the class a bit during COVID because they had this, you know, amazing crop of candidates, and then they've been gradually bringing it back down to kind of pre-pandemic sizes. So this is kind of the normal size for the class. I just wanted to mention that because we'd been speculating about whether application volume had played a role, which I guess it had in some ways, but it was merely more a bump from COVID than some sort of, you know, um, decline overall, if you look historically at the class size. So just wanted to put that out there. Makes sense. Yep. So let's get on to the next thing, which is we published the, the Tuck employment report on our website, or at least our kind of rundown of it. So I'm going to do what I've been doing the last few weeks. I'll just give you the numbers and get your take. Uh, so three months out, 98% of Tuck graduates in the class of 22 had received a job offer and 96% had accepted. Again, these numbers are the percentages of those looking for work. So presumably there are some people in the class who are sponsored or entrepreneurs, but of those looking, pretty good pretty good stats. Do you want to guess at the uh, median salary and bonus, Alex? I'm going to guess for Tuck, 162 for the median salary and the bonus of 30000 
Okay. Yeah. And I would have guessed similarly. So the bonus, you're right. Everyone seems to have that same <laughs> bonus, uh, average bonus this year. The median salary is a bit higher. I was actually really impressed with this. So their median salary is 175 wow. um, this year. Yeah. Big, big number. So, um, so that's the, the number for talk. I'm going to give you the industry uh, breakdowns because I'd be curious to hear your point of view on this. Uh, consulting, 47% went into consulting. Uh, 20% went into financial services, 11% into technology, 9% into healthcare, pharma, and biotech, and 5% into consumer goods and retail. And before I let you weigh in, um, those numbers looked a little different last year. So there were 36% in consulting last year, again, instead of 47% this year. Everything else was more or less the same with the exception of tech going down. Um, it was 11% uh, this year, but 15% last year. So any quick thoughts on the industry placements? If you want to go um, a, a post-MBA consulting career, it's got to be close to the top of your list. I mean, 47% of the class going into consulting. We don't know the breakdown, I assume, MBB versus, um, you know, other consulting firms. That would be an interesting data point. Um, but yeah, that also explains to some extent that inflated median starting salary of 175,000 because we know consulting is a really high paying um, career path. Um, so, so yeah, I'm, I'm guessing, Graham, that top might be the, the, the leader in terms of percent of class going into consulting. Yeah, I feel like that's the biggest number that I've seen this yeah. year. Uh, the other thing that I thought was interesting is in terms of the regional placements. So they sent 59% of their graduating class into the Northeast, another 8% into the Mid-Atlantic. So if you think of that Amtrak corridor from you know Boston down to DC or something, that that's a big chunk of their student body. They did send 12% to the West Coast, 8% to the Midwest, 6% to the Southwest, and 5% to the South. One of the things that's noteworthy is most of these numbers stayed similar to last year, with the exception of the Northeast and the West. So the Northeast went from 53% to 59% this year, and the West went from 20% last year down to 12%. So any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, that tech number went down and the West Coast number went down, so they correlate um, to some extent, right? Um, but it doesn't surprise me. You go to Tuck. Um, and, and the Northeast is, is, is a, a big sort of stomping ground for, for top graduates. So, so, so yeah, that doesn't surprise me, honestly. All right. Yeah. So anyway, great numbers out of talk. Yeah. It's always impressive to see, see some of these figures. Uh, and, and, you know, I know there's a lot of hand wringing out there amongst applicants about should I do the MBA or not? Is it worth, you know, the investment? But obviously if you're going to go into something like consulting, I think the answer is pretty resoundingly clear that you, you can make a good salary immediately out of business school and probably pay off your loans relatively quickly. So um, that that's kind of the news from the website. We don't really have anything else. I mean, we have some events coming up in February, but it's otherwise, it's, it's pretty quiet. You know, we're going to do some deferred enrollment events in, in February, which I'll get into in the coming episodes. Other than that, if you do want to reach out to Alex or myself, just send an email to info at clearadmit.com. Use the subject line wiretaps, and obviously we always appreciate anyone who rates or reviews the show. Uh, we do see a lot of you listening on Spotify and, and Apple Podcasts, so keep tuning in. Um, Alex, do you want to get into our candidates for the week that you've selected? You've missed something, Graham. What have I forgotten? We have our Clear Admit Plus webinar 
today. Oh, geez, that's right. Okay, yeah, I forgot. Uh, so uh, that's right. At the, it's the beginning of the month, um, and so yeah, today at noon Eastern, you and I are going to gather together with the Clear Admit Plus subscribers. Anyone who wants to jump on, uh, who's a part of Clear Admit Plus. Can, can tune in and, and ask questions about their candidacy. This is going to be an interesting one, Alex, because I think, you know, people are going to be uh, all really on pins and needles, probably waiting for decisions or getting into the kind of stretch run of preparing apps for round two. So it should be a lot of questions that we get to feel. Yeah, and best of luck again to everybody. Fantastic. Yeah, <laughs> sounds good. All right, so let's get into the wiretaps portion. This is wiretaps candidate number one. So first up, Alex, you've chosen an, uh, an entry from a wire. This candidate wants to start business school in the fall of 23. Uh, they've got five schools on the target list, and those schools are Berkeley, Harvard, Kellogg, NYU, and Wharton. Now, this person's worked in technology and operations before business school. Uh, they'd love to get into consulting, maybe tech, and eventually venture capital when they're done with business school. And they have, you know, firms like Bain, BCG, and McKinsey, but also Google on the target list. Their GMAT score is a whopping 760. They have a 3.7 undergraduate GPA. They've been working for four years. They're located in India and would love to land in the U.S. after business school. Uh, they did mention in the notes that they graduated from a top five IIT, which is the Indian Institute of Technology. Those are the most prestigious kind of engineering schools in India. Uh, they worked with a top FMCG company. I had to look that up because I'm I'm just bad with acronyms, but it, I don't know if you know what that stands for, Alex. <laughs> I can't believe you had to look that one up, Graham. Even I uh, you knew that, that one. All right, fast-moving consumer goods. Um, so they worked for that company for three and a half years, and then they moved to a startup backed by the Tata Group, which is one of the largest businesses in, in India. Uh, they're in a strategy role in the director's office, and they mention one other little detail here, which is that they applied to Booth in round one, but did not get an interview call. And so that's why they've got this sort of second set of schools that they're applying to in round two this year. Alex, you had some dialogue with this candidate, but what's your take here? Yeah, I don't get it, Graham, quite honestly. Um, this person, you know, like they say, they graduated top top um, five IIT in, in, in India, with looks like a, a very decent um, GPA, um, and looks like their work experience is, is, is really strong. I mean, probably started on highly technical operations, but has now moved in a, into a strategy role in the director's office in a startup environment backed by the Tata Group. So that's obviously got, got, a, got a lot of sort of backing um, in, in, in India um, and so on and so forth. So, so let's assume their work experience is very strong, their undergraduate record is very strong, their GMAT is very strong, it's 760. Um, and, you know, they've got the four years of experience, so they're right around where, where they need to be at. We don't know what they do outside of work, um, but even so, not getting an interview invite um, at Booth is surprising to me. Um, it must be um, potentially that their execution on their application was was um, um, not not great. Uh, maybe there was some issues. Um, I mean, I can't even imagine there would be any issues with it with their recommenders because, again, it looks like their work experience is really strong. So it really does floor me yeah. why um, Booth um, determined not to invite to interview because you could argue, well, maybe their profile is so super strong that Booth recognized that they're going to end up with lots of M7 offers um, 
and they did you know they didn't want to 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 hurt their yield or something like that but that argument I don't think it really stands up because they weren't even invited for an interview, Graham. So yeah. I am really puzzled by this one. And therefore, then, how do you approach round two? What is the appropriate strategy? Because I would still say that they should be targeting M7 programs uh, with what we know about their profile. Yeah. But we do know that round two is more challenging for a candidate like this than round one would have been because they're potentially overrepresented um, and, and so forth, you know, coming from, from India, um, et cetera. So this is a puzzle for me. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, the thing, I was trying to figure out what could have happened. And I mean, as far as what Booth did, I mean, I, I think they would have interviewed them, as you said, even if they were worried they might be going somewhere else, but they probably even would have waitlisted them too, you know? So yeah, so it doesn't make sense that they would reject them out of hand. Right. So I, I kind of came down on, you know, it, it sort of application strategy issues here. I think there must be something if we were to see the file where we would say, oh, you know, and, and maybe they're weak outside activities or, or maybe this candidate approached the process in such a way where they just felt like it was a given that they were going to get to go to one of these schools or I, I don't know what it is, but um, there's something, yeah, there's something amiss here. And so I, you know, I, I think applying in round two, harder, like you say, for an Indian candidate, but they do have phenomenal numbers, really great work experience. I mean, I, I was thinking that, you know, it's possible, like you say, maybe limited outside activities are hurting them, but we don't know whether they have limited activities. They just didn't comment on it. So that, that's a possibility. I also wondered about the goals. You know, if, if, um, if the goals were fuzzy, you know, if they're kind of saying consulting or tech or maybe venture capital, and they didn't really hone in on a clear plan that could, you know, potentially have tripped them up. But Again, be hard to say without seeing the application to Booth, to, to, but it, something is, you know, as they say, something is rotten in Denmark. You know, I don't, I don't know what's going on because they should have gotten an interview at minimum, in my view. Yeah, yeah. So really, um, your, our advice for round two probably is stick with the, the programs that they're targeting. So they're targeting Kellogg, Wharton, Stern, Haas, and, and Harvard. Um, make sure... I mean, if it is an app execution issue, make sure they go back to the drawing board and really understand what are adcom seeking. Be humble, yet be... Uh, you you want to come across as a very likable candidate. You want to be very humble, yet you want to show, 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 not tell um, your, your your story and your impact and your growth and, and really then tie it to the goals and make sure the goals are ambitious, yet realistic, not vague. Um, and so on and so forth. So it might be to sort of really take a step back and, and really understand, all right, what does the, the outcome want and how can I deliver on that um, a, 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 yeah. effectively? Um, and yeah, if there's a, you know, that, then it becomes the question, do they have to go to business school this year or could they wait a year um, and, and come back into round one again, because again, round one would, would be easier than round two. And if, 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 if it's, they have to go this year, then they might need to readjust this list a little bit and add one or two, uh, more from the, the, the tier below M7. Um, currently yeah. they have Hassan Stern, um, but maybe, you know, look at, looking at the Duke Darden Ross type, um, program, but yeah. If they can stay at work, continue to grow and learn and come back next season, don't do that. Only focus on M7 
and, right. and, and, and related programs. Yeah, it is interesting in that I wonder if something that may have occurred is that they literally just changed jobs, right? So they did three and a half years in the first company, um, one of these fast-moving consumer goods companies, and then they moved to this Tata-backed company, but they've only been there for half a year, presumably. So I wonder if there's something there, too, where an admissions reader might have said, wait, you know, they, they haven't really done anything in this role yet. Why are they jumping ship to go to business school? I mean, anything's possible, yeah. right? So yeah. in any event, they got to shape the narrative a little bit better, probably. And, and I agree, cast a wider net if they've got to go to school in the fall. Uh, otherwise, just sit tight and try to go M7 all the way and, and you know, reapply next fall if need be. So um, in any event, uh, what is, can you name a fast-moving consumer goods? Does that mean supermarket, basically? Or are we talking no, about food, basically? No, we're talking about what gets sold in supermarkets, right? So Kellogg, yeah. you know, cornflakes uh, and stuff like that, right? Got it. Okay. I mean, all right. come Thanks, on, Alex. Gray. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> no, I just need to get better with all these different acronyms. And But it is, I mean, I will say, like, I think a candidate writing their application needs to spell this stuff out, you know, because not every admissions officer is going to know. I would argue against that one, Graham, only because... <laughs> In the career reports, oftentimes you see X percent to FMCG. All right. Okay. All right. Noted. I mean, it, it is a known category. It, it's not right. like a niche um, acronym within an industry. This is a, a quite a known acronym of an industry. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, okay. I'd always thought of CPG as the one that I always see. Well, but it's exactly the same, same thing. thing. Got Consumer it. Consumer okay. packaged goods. Fast, you know, FMCG, yeah. they're the same okay. thing. All right, sounds good. <laughs> All right, let's, uh, I want to thank that person for posting and, and hopefully they'll have better news in round two. Uh, let's move on and talk about Wiretap's candidate number two. So this is another ApplyWire entry, Alex, that you picked, except this candidate is not looking to start business school until the fall of 24. So they're a bit of an early bird. They've got another year or so before they have to really get going. Uh, they are applying, or currently at least have on the list, Columbia, Harvard, INSEAD, LBS, MIT, Kellogg, Stanford, Chicago Booth, and Wharton. They're a chartered accountant slash uh, data analyst. I believe they started their career as a data analyst and then moved into accounting. They would like to get into consulting after business school and then ultimately join their family business. Uh, they're, you know, open to working at Bain, BCG, you know, Bain, BCG, McKinsey, the usual suspects, as well as Accenture. Uh, GMAT score is a 740, GPA 3.7. They've got three years of work experience. I presume that that's what they have now, and so they'll have a little bit more by the time they apply. They're located in South Africa, and they want to land in the U.S., at least in the near term, post-MBA. Um, they are kind of just curious about their odds of getting into an M7-type program. Uh, they have, uh, they're a chartered accountant, so they're basically the, you know, kind of a South African equivalent of a CPA. And the only other thing is that they have this... Um, well, they've done the CFA, actually, levels one through three. So that's another kind of feather in their cap. But the other thing I was going to mention is they're, it sounds like their family has a business that is um, in kind of financial software. Uh, and, and so they're interested in getting involved in that in the long term. It sounds like they're not doing much with it right now, um, but it's something that they kind of have in their sights for the longer term. And they also are interested in helping those who are, you know, kind of the, the less fortunate um, in the kind of poor communities to be better about kind of uh, finances, financial management, stuff like that. So um, that's kind of a goal of theirs as well. But again, they're a year plus out. 
um, for to, to joining an MBA program. And so they were kind of curious about what we think about the school list and how competitive they might be. I should add, they are a white male um, in South Africa. So what do you make of this, Alex? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot, lot to like about this um, candidate. I mean, you know, your initial reaction to someone that's a chartered accountant or, or, or working in accounting and, and so on and so forth is it's more of a back office um, type support role. Um, but in that case, they, they've, you know, they, they've created uh, productivity improvements in, in the companies that they've worked at and, and, and so on and so forth. So they've taken on some initiative um, beyond their day-to-day work. And their day-to-day work is probably very good anyway, right? So I'm not dismissing that. But I like the idea that they've improved um, processes along the way. Um, done some interesting things and now they work in business development Um, so you know that's a a nice term for for sales but but not just sales but sort of expanding markets and so on and so forth Um, so so I think there's a lot to like here you combine that by the fact that they're from um, Africa um, so South Africa so so that makes them a little bit um, more sort of um, um, different to someone um, based in the US, I guess. Um, 740G, Mat 3.7 GPA, fantastic um, profile on, on that score. Their goals, ultimately, to get back to their family business, do some um, positive um, things um, for society and so on and so forth. All that stuff's really good, Graham. They've got a bit of a side hustle too, um, I think. Um, in terms of, um, um, I, I think it was, um, 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 tourism in, in South Africa, making it more appealing and so forth. So, yeah, I think there's a lot to like here, Graham. They're, they're looking ahead. They're looking to, to next season. I think they should be targeting M7. If they want to work in the U.S. post-MBA, they really probably should um, focus on M7 in the, in the U.S. versus they, they also have INSEAD and London Business School listed. Um, but, but, but nevertheless, yeah, uh, I think there's a lot to like here, Graham. Yeah, I tend to agree. I mean, I always love a candidate that's a little bit, you know, ahead of schedule. Um, so they've, they've got a lot of time to prepare a, a strong strategy. Yeah, I like that they they seem really active, too. I mean, it's not just, you know, the work stuff, and but it's also the work-related qualifications. So doing the CFA, all, all three levels. Um, but then, like you said, they had this kind of... Um, I guess like an agency that they set up to bring in clients to um, do do sort of South African tourism, like you said. So yeah, there's just they seem pretty interesting. They also mentioned they regularly play tennis. They're they're you know they play golf as well. So it feels like a pretty well-rounded candidate. I think they need to continue to do all these things um, and you know just stay you know stay stay on top of everything if possible. But I feel like this you know feels like an M7 candidacy yeah. to me. Yeah, and the nice sure. thing is they, they can target round one, right, with the, with the M7 mm-hmm. um, and and sort of test the waters. If they, if they need to come back in round two, that's going to be perfectly fine. It's not like they're right. overrepresented in as much as, um, yeah, they're white male, but um, they're from South Africa. Yeah. So, so round two is going to be just as good as round one. They can use round one to test the waters, apply to the very best programs in round one, um, and then see where they stand. Yeah. Exactly. So, um, yeah, things all seem to be lining up for this candidate and I, you know, I think they'll do just fine. So I want to thank them for submitting their profile and hopefully they'll keep us posted and keep tuning into the show, um, as they kind of figure out their strategy and pick up a few tips along the way from us. Uh, but in any event, let's move on and talk about wiretaps candidate number three. 
do we need to talk about the candidate <laughs> ground? Could we just tell them that they're, they're good to go? Yeah, so this this candidate, um, Alex and I were joking before we came on air that, you know, maybe this candidate should just post her profile to the internet and tell schools, call me if, you, if you're interested. <laughs> um, but in any event, um, this candidate wants to start school uh, next fall. So they're applying now um, in round two, I believe. They've got 10 schools on the target list, although I believe some of them they're applying to via the consortium. Uh, so they've got Haas, Columbia, Cornell, Duke, Harvard, MIT, Kellogg, NYU, Stanford, and Wharton. Uh, they might be able to trim that list down some for reasons we'll get into in a moment. This, this candidate has worked as an architect and a real estate developer. Uh, she wants to continue in that vein, but um, more kind of combining technology with real estate stuff and, and maybe doing some family business related things. And um, so lots of interesting plans. GMAT score is, well, was a 720 when she initially posted to apply wire. But I believe I saw a comment where she just retook it and landed. I want to say, Alex, was it a 760 um, or was it 740? I can't remember, but it was 760. Yeah, 760. So that's so 760 GMAT, 3.6 GPA, which was earned at um, Cornell uh, in architecture. So that's the number one architecture program in the U.S. So good grades at a good school in a subject area that school is well known for. She's got five and a half years of work experience um, located in Latin America. Um, so this is a Hispanic female. Uh, she does mention somewhat light on extracurriculars, um, but she, you know, is a sounds like a licensed architect. Or um, so, yeah. I, I'll let you get into some of the details here because we had a lot of back and forth. Both you and I kind of commented on her profile, and she kind of came back with a lot of interesting details. Um, but what do you make of this candidacy? And and I did have a question for you. She's located in Latin America. In Latin America, does that mean that she is not a U.S. citizen? So I'm just kind of wondering if, if maybe she left Latin America to go to school at Cornell and then returned and now is, is working there. Or do you have a sense of that? Yeah, I mean, I think she's she's uh, uh, she's from Latin America and is not a U.S. citizen. That's my right. um, assumption um, here. Although I don't think that's going to make or does make any difference. Um, there's so much to like about this profile. You you did mention the one slight weakness in terms of, you know, she's not heavily involved in, in some volunteer activity that might be sort of targeted at sort of helping communities and so on and so forth. Um, but the, all the, everything else that's presented, it appears to be so super positive. I mean, 720 GMAT, 3.6 GPA from Cornell, 760. Industry. Well, I'm going to get to <laughs> oh, that okay. in a minute. I'm talking about what she presented at the beginning. Yeah. 7236, five and a half years of experience in an industry that's clearly not overrepresented in the in the applicant pool. Um, let's assume she's done very well in that industry. And, and as you said, the three sixes out of um, Cornell, very good program, especially targeted for, 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 for that industry and so on and so forth. Um, Despite slightly um, less less involvement in in um, extracurriculars, I'd say, well, this is M7 caliber all the way. Potentially, Harvard, Stanford, Wharton um, should should be targeted for sure. Um, not potentially, they should be targeted too. And then the fact that she went back and retook the damn GMAT. <laughs> And, and got a 760 just completely blew my <laughs> mind. It's like, yeah. why did you do that? I mean, one of the things that, that we, we've said before in this podcast, I think, um, or at least I've, I've thought it, if I haven't said it, <laughs> 
is if you look at average GMAT scores in different regions of the world, um, Latin America will have a lower average GMAT score than the United States or the UK or some other, and China and India, right? Um, I, 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 I don't know what the median scores are and, and, you know, I'm sure they're published out there somewhere. But when we think of a really strong Latin American candidate, we don't typically associate that with a 760. It's more 720, 710. That's really strong for that region of the world. Right. So, so the fact that she got the 760 is, is a little bit mind-blowing to me. Um, I do like the idea that she wasn't satisfied with the 720. We should always produce our best score. Mm-hmm. So, so that was really good. But yeah, I mean, honestly, Graham, we did joke about it before coming on air, but there's so much to like about this candidate. Um, that, yeah. That, um, yeah. I mean, I could keep going. on. And I just want to underline the fact that, you know, when we say that the Latin America has lower scores, it's mostly because there's not a tradition of these standardized tests in those right. markets. So people are kind of coming in at a disadvantage, I feel. And also, you know, usually English is a second language. So there's all kinds of factors um, at play that you don't have in, say, India, the UK or the US. But um, in any event, I agree with you. This is a stellar candidacy. Uh, she's got a good plan. I mean, she has a lot of interesting kind of career ideas. And I think she's, you know, that'll, um, I presume she's working that out into very compelling essays. And yeah, so this one, this, this is someone who I think is going to find a lot of success in the admissions process. You know, I just want to underline one other thing. I, I can actually recall that, so architects are not a common thing, like you say, you know, but I actually was right. fortunate enough to have an architect on my learning team at Wharton. So one of my classmates was an architect and he, you know, w- was on my learning team and he was just, it was really great to have his perspective, which was so different. You know, I had a banker, there was a consultant. I was like the startup person because I'd come from a startup. But the architect, you know, he just um, added a lot to the discussion. And I was about to, I caught myself, I was about to say he always had constructive <laughs> things to say, which was not meant to be a terrible pun. But in any event, it just, I think that there is real value in having these people from different, um, you know, industries and and roles. And I feel like schools will, you know, will really want that. Um, and so, yeah, there's a ton to like. The numbers are fantastic. The career's great, and the plans seem all <laughs> to line up. So I don't, I don't think there's much else to say other than I really appreciate her sharing this profile and engaging with us in those comments and stuff on the site. Yeah, I think she did have one other question, so it might be worth us discussing it um, briefly. If she didn't have this question, I read it somewhere this week and we could just assume it, you know, it, it's relevant anyway. But um, she has some family business experience, right? I think that's correct. Um, or did I read that incorrectly? But, but anyway, the question was whether it was from, from this candidate or from someone else. Is that, you know, Clearly, if you work for family, family business, um, you're going to, you're, oh, yeah, I see it here now, Graham. The second part of my experience, real estates are actually within a family business, which is a slight concern because I don't know if that is going to be seen as, slu- as nepotism versus, versus actual competency. So, so what, what is your thought on that particular issue, Graham? 
I mean, I think in in this instance where it's just part of her career path and everything else is pretty, I mean, stellar in terms of the numbers. Like, I it's hard to call nepotism when the person just seems incredibly competent um, to begin with, and in every other kind of measure. So yeah. I'm not so worried about that. Obviously, if her, you know, parents or uncle or whoever it was was writing a letter of recommendation, that would be a bad idea. Um, but I think as long as you know. She can stand on her own two feet and and have people writing about her who are you know not perceived to be biased or something. It should be fine. Yeah, yeah, I think absolutely fine. And also, what what's what's more more important is showing that impact um, and growth that she's had whilst working in the family business. Because quite often, folks that work in family businesses are able to. Um, do things and get stuff done at a, at a at a higher level potentially than than more traditional candidates. So so yeah, I I don't think that's a concern at all. We see quite a few candidates that have family business experience. Yeah, agreed. So um, Alex, thanks for picking these out. I say it every week, but you do such a terrific job, kind of coming up with different <laughs> types of candidates for us to review. And we've had a flurry of entries, so keep them coming, people. We love to review your profiles and and do so on the show. Alex, we'll do this all again in one week's time, if you're willing. And I want to just say, uh, yeah, everyone, best of luck this week with all these admissions decisions coming. Yeah, best of luck, everyone. Take care. Stay safe.